loves and cares for one another. Psalm 119, Psalm 119, and uh, we sing uh, that hymn, and we, at the end there, that last stanza talks about uh, hungering for our Lord, and that is one of the themes in this stanza in Psalm 119. Appreciate Derek leading uh, the scripture reading, <coughs> excuse me, this, this afternoon, this evening, and we see there in verse 81 of Psalm 119, my soul fainteth for thy salvation, but I hope in thy word. We begin with looking at this stanza that is, uh, has the subtitle, C-A-F, SAF or CAF, the Hebrew letter that will form the acronym for this particular stanza as we have been working our way through this great psalm, the Mount Everest of the Bible. And this particular stanza, the acronym would be the Hebrew letter CAF, C-A-P-H. And we see, first of all, this need for a strong desire for the Lord, that we hunger and thirst after Him. As we just sang in that hymn, I hope that is true of us, of our desires. We have desires for so many different things. Our hearts are pulled and tugged in so many different directions. There are appetites that we have that are wedded on a regular basis for material things, for physical pleasures, uh, in some cases nothing more than just sensual lusts, but we have been given certain natural appetites, certain natural desires that are gifts from God, but because of our sin nature, our desires can be out of control. There's an old English word that is translated in the King James, concupiscence. Out of, out of control desires, and we're warned in 1 Thessalonians 4, not in the lust of concupiscence. A word that has kind of fallen out of our vocabulary in our modern uh, English language. But it has to do with passions that are out of control. And we see our culture more and more being led away by its, in some cases, unnatural desires. Perversions of natural desires. But we see a culture around us, a world around us, that is just full of empty, unsatisfying desires, pleasures, thirst for things that cannot satisfy. But our desire, like the psalmist, should be for the Lord. We know in Psalm 42, in verse number 1, and that's uh, the reason for the picture on the slide, Psalm 42, in verse number 1, we may even know the chorus. As the heart, the deer, panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? We have a doe and two Bambi, two Bambies, <laughs> that have been making their way around the Murdoch Park and then through our, the woods in our backyard and uh, for whatever reason the whole month of August they have been very active and uh, they've eaten almost all of the, uh, I can't remember the name of the, the plants that they just love to eat behind our house and even in the broad daylight the other day they were out in Murdoch Park and then we were driving over to the grocery store and there was mom with her two uh, little uh, does, little deers, little bambies, as I call them. They still have their spots, and they were right there at the corner of uh, 21st and Union and just enjoying themselves, and we stopped, and we, we looked at them, and then 
uh, the dog, we had the dog with us, and then he got sight of them. They, they are constantly thirsting after and desiring food. They, they kind of live to eat and eat to live. Now, some of us sometimes are guilty of that as well. But they have a constant desire to quench their thirst. They have a constant appetite. And they are out in the front yard, and they're all around. We were on a, I was taking the dog for a walk one, one morning in the, in the dark, and there was a deer right there on the side of our house, and it spooked us, and, and it ran next door, and it was enjoying the, the, the grass in the front yard. Do we have that kind of desire for the Lord? The psalmist is saying in verse 81, my soul fainteth for thy salvation. It has the idea of being out of breath from searching, from seeking, from running after, from chasing after. We know what it's like. Some of us, we don't have to go very far before we are out of breath. And it's embarrassing sometimes to get out on the basketball court or to have to run somewhere, uh, literally physically run and realize that we're out of shape. This is not an out of shape kind of running. It's the idea of seeking hard after, searching after, chasing after to the point that we are out of breath. We are so desirous and we've been seeking so hard and so long that we are physically, in a sense, exhausted. We are weary from seeking. Literally used up the full measure of our strength, as one commentator put it. That's the idea here in verse number 81, having that thirst for God, that desire for the Lord. And notice in that poetic coupling there at the end of verse 81, but I hope in thy word. In our seeking, and in some cases, there's a, a, a dual application here. It's a seeking after God. It's a desiring for the Lord that uses up the whole measure of our strength. We seek after his salvation, his rescuing us, his delivering us. In that deliverance, yes, it speaks to our salvation, the soteriological aspect of our salvation, of course, being that we are born again, but the salvation that continues in the sustaining grace of our lives, the continual need for rescue that we have in our daily lives, in our sanctification process. Don't we find ourselves in predicaments throughout even our Christian life after we get saved? Don't we find ourselves in need of rescue? Not in the eternal sense. We've been saved from the penalty of sin. And the power of sin, but there are times where we have to be rescued. We have to be delivered. As we seek after the Lord, He is there. He is ready to help us through the situations. Again, through the trials, through the temptations, through the tribulations, like we talked about this morning. And He says that His hope for deliverance, His hope for salvation, as He desires the Lord, as He delights in the Lord, as He seeks after the Lord, as the deer seeks after the water and the the food and desires uh, the water brooks, and as we thirst for God, then He is there to help us. There's hope found in God's Word, His principles, His commands, His promises that we cling to, that provide that salvation, that deliverance, that rescue throughout our lives, throughout our Christian walk. There's all kinds of different needs that come. And as we desire the Lord, as we seek the Lord, He has a way of delivering, of providing, of meeting those needs. And we find that hope in His Word. Here we see 
this word hope that was our theme for the year 2022. We have chosen the theme confidence in the scriptures for this year, 2023. But we see how often those are put together in scripture. Confidence in the scriptures and how it provides hope. Hope in the Lord and it drives us to the scriptures where we find those principles, those commands and those promises that give us hope. We see again that our hope is found in the word of God. Our hope is not found in this world. And yes, there are things that God provides, resources that God makes available to us. Yes, we're thankful for physical needs that are met, financial needs. We're thankful for health. But when our health breaks, when our finances are used up, when the material possessions break down and run out, and the economy goes into recession or whatever the case may be, where ultimately must our hope lie? It must be in the Lord. And our hope is not just a blind, oh, well, I hope this all works out. I hope that fate shines its good favor on me. You know how people talk nowadays. They throw out this kind of mystical idea of fate, of time, of chance, of lady luck, of Karma, do you hear that word sometimes used? Good karma, I hope I have good karma. And that's the way people will live. They'll live a superstitious kind of life. And, and it's, it's this constant kind of rabbit's foot, good luck kind of living. And it's not a true hope that is found in the word of God that is based on the very character of God. Because, of course, the word of God is the written word. Jesus Christ being the living word, and so the word of God, of course, breathed out by God, the living word, the written word of God, then, is God himself, his character, his attributes revealed to us. And, of course, the whole Bible is about God's son, Jesus Christ, and God's plan of redemption from creation to fall to redemption and, and then consummation, and we can go through the seven seas of history but we see God's eternal plan meted out and through his son, Jesus Christ. And that's where we find our hope. Our hope is in the Lord, not in this life, not in all of the things that we can buy, that we can do, that we can find, that maybe bring some measure of, or meet some measure of need, and we're thankful for it, and we're thankful that God does provide, but when all those resources are exhausted... We still have the Lord. And we find that when everything else is gone, Jesus is still enough. When there's nothing left physically, nothing left financially, nothing left materially, we find that Jesus is still enough, that God is still enough. We continue here in verse 82. Mine eyes fail for thy word, saying, when wilt thou comfort me? Mine eyes fail for thy word. Interesting phrase. The idea is looking with such intensity and for so long that our eyes are weary. Have we ever so intensely or intently looked at something that 
our eyes get kind of watery and cloudy. Maybe it's spending a lot of time. There's a good book maybe that you're reading and you just read and read and read and your eyes get tired. Things get kind of blurry. That, that's kind of the idea here. Um, maybe you've had an, an, an eye issue. I know Kelly has dealt with this particular eye issue and her, her eyes get, or the one eye in particular, gets weary very quickly now, much more so than, than before the, the, the eye surgery. But do we have that kind of longing and looking for our Savior? Think about when we are anxious, eager for somebody to come home, to come back or to arrive. I think of waiting for our kids to come back, and especially with them driving now and, and, and looking out the window. And now you have these apps on your phone, Life 360. I love Life 360. And can follow the kids and, and where they're at and on the road. And, and uh, I remember when Chandler took his first solo drive and we watched him on Life 360 all the way. <laughs> and there's an intent or an intense looking. Do we have that kind of longing and looking for our Savior? Think about a romantic relationship. The longing that we have for that one that we love. And that checking of the clock, checking of the time. Oh, it's almost. And then the countdown to the wedding date. And then now you have all these websites and you can practically go down to the very second before the bridal march, right? There's a longing. There's a looking. Do we have that kind of desire for the Lord, for his word? Do we seek him with our whole heart? Do we love him with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength? The psalmist, he says, when wilt thou comfort me? He finds that it's only through the Lord and through his word that he will ultimately find comfort. We're thankful for the comfort that God brings through other people, that God uses. We are so thankful. And that's part of God's comfort. But the psalmist is saying, my ultimate comfort, my ultimate joy, my ultimate peace comes from the Lord. Now, we've got to think about this for a minute. He asked the question, when wilt thou comfort me? He's longing, he's looking, he's desiring, but there seems to be a waiting period. There seems to be a time here where the psalmist is saying, I'm looking, I'm longing, but I'm waiting. And it seems to be longer than I want to wait. It seems to be a little bit more out of what I would say is good timing. It would be like us in our time schedule, going like I did the other day and I was mailing a package, and I get three options. I can go with the normal snail mail option for the cheapest price, and that's what I chose because I'm a cheapskate. It wasn't an urgent. It didn't have to get there in two days, but you can do the rush two days and then you pay like twice the price, or you can do priority or whatever. I forget all the different options. I've talked about the website, and we have this mentality now that we can, it's just, again, we have UPS and FedEx and Amazon and all these different delivery places, and you can go on, and if you're a Prime member, click two-day free shipping, and you can literally have it in 48 hours. Now, with some of these uh, 
economic situations and supply lines. Sometimes two days turns into 72 hours. But we have this kind of mentality that we order something and we expect it, and we have tracking numbers. And it's kind of that way with the psalmist. He didn't have UPS. He didn't have tracking numbers. But he's saying, when wilt thou comfort me? His heart's in the right place. He's desiring. He's longing. He's looking. But he's saying, when wilt thou comfort me? And so we have to understand that sometimes what God is doing on his timetable is not according to our timetable. Our timetable. And in his wisdom, he is working in our lives. Like we talked about this morning in James 1. That God is working through those trials, through those testings, through those waiting periods. And he is maturing us. He's working in our hearts and our lives. So let's think about this for a few moments. And as the psalmist asked this question, when wilt thou comfort me? There's a comfort that we need in times of sorrow, in times of difficulty, in times of sadness. But sometimes that comfort comes when our grief has met or has answered God's intended purpose. I I don't know exactly how to describe that, except that there are times of grief in our life, and I want to be very sensitive. We've all had times of grief. There are times of grief that our church and our church family and families in our church are experiencing right now. And we don't always know what and the timing of what God is doing. But even through our grief and our times of grief, God is working. We don't always understand and we will not always understand this side of heaven. We will understand it better by and by as the Lord allows in, in glory one day in, in heaven. And even then, I'm not sure we'll understand everything, but there will be some maybe better understanding as God reveals to us. And there are some ways in which God does reveal his purpose and his plan this side of heaven. But many times it's not until years later or it's not even until glory. So that comfort may be coming on God's timetable in a way that he's using our grief for an intended purpose. What about that comfort that only comes when we believe? When we finally accept what God is telling us, teaching us. We believe. We finally take that step and we trust like we should. How many times as a parent or as a grandparent have we tried to console our our child? I think of, of this because we had to deal with it with our kids and I was reminded of this the other day. It, couldn't have, it had to have been like a junior higher. He had to have been 7th or 8th grade. Maybe he was uh, just a, a little bit bigger 2nd or 3rd grader. But he looked like a junior higher. And he was boohooing his head off at the store. And you could tell that he just wanted something really, really bad. And he was trying the crocodile tears. He was trying everything he could to get whatever it was that his mom or his dad had said no and sometimes, aren't we being big babies about things? And we are not trusting God who says, no, or not right now, or this isn't good for you, or this would be sin, 
And we are not willing to believe. We're not willing to trust. And God is saying, your comfort will come when you believe, when you trust, when you fully accept what I am trying to teach you, what I'm trying to say. When we leave sin, is there not grief that comes with the consequences of sin? And sometimes the comfort comes when we finally turn from our sin and turn to God. We confess and forsake that sin and we, we replace it with that which is good and right and holy. What about when we obey? Sometimes the screaming and the crying at home <laughs> and dealing with our children and God as he disciplines us. When does the comfort come? Sometimes at home. When our child finally obeys, we've told them and told them and told them. And if you've ever had a stubborn child, it sometimes seems like it's going to take all night and the next day. And they finally obey. And sometimes it's multiple spankings or <laughs> multiple groundings or whatever the discipline is. And finally there's obedience. And it's amazing the comfort that comes. Oh, mom and dad aren't these green-eyed monsters after all. All they, all they wanted me to do was just obey. Yes! <laughs> and then the comfort comes. When we submit to God's will instead of fighting it. I remember when uh, I, I knew that God was keeping us at Cross Point and I was going to be the school principal. I knew Pastor Arrowwood was going to call me up. I had already been kind of been told. And I was already fighting with God. I was already arguing with God about being the school principal. I did not want to do it. And I was arguing with the Lord about it, yet I knew that's what God wanted me to do. He wanted me to say yes. And I still remember the phone call when Pastor Arrowwood called me. And I was fighting, I was holding on to that penny in the jar and wouldn't let go and couldn't pull my hand out, you know. And I was finally, when he called, I was finally at the point that God had brought me to the place where I said, okay, Lord, when I told you years ago in that little room in the basement of Eagle Dell Baptist Church that I would do whatever you wanted me to do, how could I be sitting here and standing here and arguing with you about what I know clearly you are leading me to do? And I finally told the Lord I would say yes. And when Pastor Arrowwood made that call, I could say it, and I could say it with knowing that was God's will, with a peace. And then in my spirit, I still struggled for the next six months. As sometimes we do, we still kind of fight even after we know and for the next six months, I still argued with God. <laughs> it was a little bit of a rough patch. But God got a hold of my heart. And I finally submitted to his will and what he was doing. And sometimes it's like that. We kick and scream and we fight and we drag and we finally submit. We finally say, Lord, I know this is what you have for me. I will obey. The comfort comes, doesn't it? The peace comes. And ultimately, when we seek God's glory, when it's not about me, when it's really about him, the comfort comes. Sometimes that's all that's in the way, is we're just trying to figure out a way for us to get the attention, for us to get whatever it is that we think that we have to have, and we're trying to get the glory. And it's when we finally say, to God be the glory, that the comfort comes. So, just some thoughts there about our desire for the Lord 
and our longing for Him, our looking for Him, desiring Him, and having that right heart and that right heart motive, and trusting Him to bring His comfort. And when He asked that question, when wilt thou comfort me? Maybe it's one of these areas that God is working in our hearts and our lives about. We also, also see in this stanza, in verse 83, For I am become like a bottle in the smoke, yet do I not forget thy statutes. This is an interesting phrase. In Bible times, there would be wineskins. They would not have necessarily all the different kinds of bottles and uh, different containers that we have today for holding liquids. It was pretty much a, a leather type of flask. And sometimes there would be some glass, maybe some pottery. But this is probably a reference to the wineskins or to some sort of glass bottle or container. That would be, in the case of a wineskin, it would be hung up to dry and it would uh, get wrinkled uh, in the dry air. And then, as often would be the case, there would be a fire, an oven, because of the cooking, there wouldn't be the nice electric or gas ovens that we have today. I don't know, is, are we going to be able to have gas ovens? I hear that there's more regulation coming. I, I heard that ceiling fans are, are on the, the docket for being banned unless they're hyper energy efficient, save the earth kind of ceiling fans. It's just amazing, the, the next government regulation uh, that, that, that seems to come. But... They would have the brick ovens. They would have the ovens, and there would be a smoke that would come out, and as those wineskins were hung, or as there would be a bottle, that smoke would then begin to soil or to cause soot to collect on the outside of that wineskin, the outside of that bottle. If you've ever done bottle rockets, nobody ever played with bottle rockets, right, growing up? We would take bottle rockets and we'd literally stick them in an old glass bottle. And that bottle rocket would shoot up and it would leave that dark glass. Um, some of you are looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. Some of you are like, yeah, we used to do that, you know. <laughs> but that stain, that soot, that blackening of that bottle, he says here in verse 83, I am become like that bottle in the smoke. There is some, some, some soot, some stain. What is he talking about? It's possible, very possible, he is referring to the physical effects of his grief and how it affects him physically, mentally. And there is a physical effect of grief upon our, upon our lives. There's a physical effect of stress, of pressure, and can I say of the consequences of sin? Just this week, there were more statistics that were released from the, I believe it was the CDC, the Center for Disease Control. And there was another increase in the suicide rates. Specifically, the greatest area where there was an increase was in those ages 65 and older. The second largest increase was in the ages 45 to 65, if I remember right. 
And there, have been a, there has been a trend, I believe it's for more than a decade now, I believe it's going back to at least 2013, if not before, of an increase overall in suicides. I believe 2022 had the highest number of suicides ever in United States history. And of course, all the government officials, they blame everything from COVID lockdowns to this and that, and, and, and there are contributing factors. But it was interesting reading some of the factors, and one of the things that is brought up is people are not as religious as they used to be. People are trying to find all their answers from within, and they're finding themselves in a mental illness because they can't find all their answers from inside. They never see anyone or anything bigger than them. They don't come to church where they're forced to exalt a God who is holy. If they're not saved, they have no Holy Spirit who has made them the temple of the Holy Spirit. There's a emptiness in our culture so that people are despairing of life. And it's even those now in the ages of 65 and older that are seeing the biggest increase in suicides. And again, this statement of the epidemic of loneliness that was mentioned by the CDC. And I go back to what I said, I think even last Sunday, that the cure for the epidemic of loneliness is church, is God, is the word of God. In our Christian community, as we reach out to one another, as we love one another, we find a comfort from the Lord. And here's the psalmist saying, I'm like smoke, a bottle that has been stained by smoke. I'm like a wine flask that's been stained by smoke. And he says in verse 83, yet do I not forget thy statutes. He's saying the answer for the physical effects, the mental effects, the emotional effects the answer is the Lord. Does God not bring people into our life? Sure. Does he not bring doctors into our life? Does he not bring medicine? Sure. But the psalmist is saying, ultimately, my comfort, the answer for my grief, for the physical effects, the spiritual, the mental, the emotional effects from all of this stress, all of this pressure, ultimately, that comfort comes from the word of God. And in this article that I read, it was from a secular but a conservative source, they touched on religion, but they never took it to the point where the gospel, the need for us as sinners to repent of our sin, the need for us to be right with God, they never really took the spiritual element and brought it into play, at least not in this article. And it just was a reminder to me that there's all of these factors. And yes, I cannot just totally eliminate all these different factors. But if we ignore the spiritual, if we ignore the fact that we are a spiritual being, that we have an eternal link with God, the soul, that there is a spiritual element, if we ignore that, then where are we going to find our answers? Where are the solutions going to be for all of these mental illnesses, all this despair, all of this crime? The answer is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
The answer is found in the gospel. And that's ultimately what the psalmist is saying. My comfort comes from God's word, comes from my relationship with the Lord. So we don't have a lot of time, but we'll just quickly go through these final verses here in verses 84 through 88. And this theme in these last several verses is that God and his word are faithful even when man lets us down. Notice he says in verse 84, How many are the days of thy servant? When wilt thou execute judgment on them that persecute me? He is obviously being affected by some measure of persecution. There is somebody or some buddies out there who do not like him and are making life miserable for him. And we are on the verge right here in America of some measure of persecution. There's a little bit of that already going on. We don't know if this is David. More than likely this is David, who's the psalmist. Who could he be referring to? It could be referring to Saul, who was chasing him down. It could be referring to a rebellious child who's trying to overthrow his kingdom. He could be referring to enemies, Philistines and other enemies around. He could be referring to any one of those groups, but nevertheless, there is somebody or a group of people that are making life miserable for him. It seems like it is a never-ending persecution or personal attack. He is literally asking, when will this end? When wilt thou execute judgment? He is saying, almost, it sounds like, that he is wishing to die. It's almost like he is saying, God, when are you going to judge the wicked? He ultimately is saying, how long will I have to bear this injustice? And we find ourselves sometimes like that right now, don't we? How long is it going to be before God brings judgment upon all these wicked people who are doing all of these horrible things, who are allowing all of this sin and celebrating it and then bringing injustice on those who are living rights and who are righteous and who are preaching the gospel and who are delivering the truth? And we find ourselves asking a similar question. And Jesus promised that the world hates us because it hated him first. And the psalmist is seeing that in his own life right here. Verse 85, the proud have digged pits for me, which are not after thy law. He says in verse 86, all thy commandments are faithful. They persecute me wrongfully. Help thou me. Verse 87, they had almost consumed me upon earth but I forsook not thy precepts. So for four verses there, he's speaking of this persecution, this injustice. And it reminds us of passages such as Romans 12, where we have to look to the Lord to ultimately bring the vengeance. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. Matthew 5, where we're told to turn the other cheek, to give the coat off of our back. Proverbs 20 and verse 22 is almost identical to Romans 12, 17 through 21, about returning good for evil and not evil for evil. In 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 15, a very parallel passage that speaks, to the, speaks the same about not taking vengeance into our own hands, but giving it to the Lord and returning good for evil. Now, does that mean that we don't have self-defense? Sure we do. We just had a drill this morning because we know that there are times where we have to take up a defense for our own self-preservation. But I would deal with, I would deal with, with parents, I'd deal with kids, they'd come into my office, they'd have a fight at recess. And 
it would be the same story 95% of the time. So-and-so did this. So-and-so said this. I just had to punch him in the nose. I had no other choice. The only recourse was to get him down on his back and just beat him to a bloody pulp. And I would ask the question, well, where was the teacher? Right there. So why didn't you go to the teacher? Why didn't you walk away? Well, you don't understand. And I know there are those times. Uh, Willie was just sharing a story last or a couple, couple week, weeks ago about a, a time where one of his kids was uh, being perse- persecuted at the public playground. And uh, after so many attempts to get this little kid to leave his son alone, he, he told his son to, to let him have it. And there are times where we have to do that. You got that kid and there's nobody around to help and you, you just, sometimes you just have to, to deal with it. I was of the type growing up, and I would deal with this at school. I would often say, return good for evil. Don't take it into your own hands. But I would get these kids sometimes that would come in, and they would make the lousiest excuse for why they had to beat up that kid at, the, at recess, why they had to take that ball and bloody that other kid's nose, when all they did was accidentally hit them in a game of dodgeball, and they ducked. And they got hit where they didn't want to get hit. And so they had to turn around and chuck that ball six inches or a foot away from the other kid's nose. And I just had to do it because we were playing dodgeball and they hit me and I didn't want to get hit there. And you know how it goes. And we want to take vengeance into our own hands. And we live in a culture, we live in a world, we live in a world of politics where it's tit for tat. And if you get me, I'm going to get you harder. We live in a, in, a, in a world today where we don't trust God and we don't give things over to the Lord and we're like a Peter and we want to just slash that servant's ear off. There are times where we have to take self-defense, where we have to protect ourselves. But we are not in a place today where we just take up our swords and we go out and we just start slashing. We trust God. But in an unsaved world, what does the unsaved world look to? If they're looking to themselves, then they've got to look within and find the answer. So they have to take vengeance into their own hands, and they have to use politics and law and injustice and on and on. Because they have no greater God whom they serve. They serve themselves. And so it's about walking on top of and bulldozing over and dog-eat-dog and... They take vengeance into their own hands. And that is not the spirit in which we should be living. Now, we have a Second Amendment. We have a personal defense. We're thankful for those freedoms, those rights, those privileges. Someone breaks into our home, we're going to defend our home. Someone threatens us physically out there, we're going to take things into our hands to defend ourselves. But we are not to be a vengeful people. And notice that the psalmist keeps looking to the Lord. And he says, ultimately, God's word, thy law, help thou me. In verse 87, I forsook not thy precepts. Where does the psalmist ultimately put his trust and turn to for his help? The Lord. He says, I'm not going to take this into my own hands and run amok and kind of do my own thing. I'm going to trust you. And God blesses when we return good for evil. We're so tempted at work, aren't we? When somebody does something just that is a complete jerk thing to do, complete wrong thing to do, 
They undercut us. They sideswipe us. We see it in road rage out in the, the, the streets. And somebody cuts us off. So we, I've seen it, you've seen it. Somebody gets cut off and what do they do? They zoom around them and then they slam on their brakes. And we've watched it and we back away and we tell our kids, if you see that, you back away. You get, get away from those vehicles. But we watched them the other day. Somebody cut somebody off, they zoomed around and then as soon as they got in front, they slammed on their brakes and that person slammed on their brakes and they zoomed around and then they're doing not so nice things out the window as they drive by. And then they're flying around on the fast lane and the highway. That, that kind of spirit of vengeance is not of the Lord. And the psalmist says, I'm going to trust God. I'm ultimately going to depend upon him. I'm going to claim his word. And I'm going to trust him and not take vengeance into my own hands. We then come to verse 88. And we conclude here. Quicken me after thy loving kindness. So shall I keep the testimony of thy mouth. When all of this, in, in, in the study of this passage, this is the one stanza of all of the stanzas, of all 22. This is the one stanza that is the most negative or melancholy of all of the stanzas. From here on out, the, the, the spirit of the psalmist is much more upbeat, Less melancholy, less discouragement. We're not exactly sure what all was going on in the heart and mind and the emotion of the psalmist of David. But obviously he was going through some distress as he's writing this stanza. And he's talking about the injustice, the persecution, the pit that they have dug for me and all these things. He talked about his desire being for the Lord and it was being tested. Am I going to find my comfort in the Lord And then what does he come to at the end of the stanza as he's written all of these things that are kind of discouraging, a little bit melancholy. He comes to verse 88 and he says, quicken me. Make me alive after thy loving kindness. He is speaking to that mercy of God, that loyal love of God. And he says, I need that. Help me, quicken me, make me alive, energize me from your word that I might have this loyal love for you, this loving kindness. So shall I keep the testimony of thy mouth. Turmoil, injustice. We get angry at the wickedness that just seems at times to go unchecked. But we don't have to fly off the handle. We don't have to lose our minds. We don't have to take vengeance into our hands. We don't have to react the way this world does because we have the Lord. We have the promises of his word. We are trusting ultimately in him. And yes, we take reasonable means that God has given us to protect ourselves. We find a lawyer if we need to. We, we go through the right channels of command and we take the right procedures and we trust God in that. And we find that ultimately our faith our trust has to be in the Lord. And we ultimately have to live by the word and not try to take things into our own hands and to work it all out our way and to beat people down and run people over and bulldoze our way through. And if you are going to undercut me, you just wait and see. I'm going to undercut you. You wait till I get in that position of leadership. You wait till I get into that position of authority. I'm going to let you have it. That is not the spirit that God honors, that God blesses. 
we have to have the spirit of the psalmist. And it's a, a hard thing. It's a hard thing because our flesh wants to get revenge. Our flesh wants to go all out. And if you get me, I'm going to get you worse. I, 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 I close with this. I know it's a, kind of a silly illustration. But in college, there would be these little guys would do this. I don't know if the girls would do this. But it would start with a little splash from the sink in the room. Somebody would splash somebody in the face or whatever. Then it would be a cup underneath the faucet, and then the cup would go flying. And then it would turn to a bucket, and then somebody's bed would be wet, and they would get in and all their... And then, as it went back and forth, back and forth, then there would be those times where literally a bucket would be put on top of the door. The door would be closed except for just a tiny crack. And I watched one time as somebody walked in the door. After this, they'd gone back and forth. I don't know how many times somebody walked in the door, into the room of the dorm, and that bucket came crashing down. And water went everywhere. And the hall leader is called, and the resident supervisor is called, and then there's demerits, and nowadays they, they I don't think they have so many demerits as much as they do fines. Now they fine you more, I think, than they give you demerits and infractions, but back then it was a lot of demerits, and you go to the dean of men's office, and on and on it goes. And it all started, a little splash from the sink, then it became a cup, somebody's bed being wet, then it became a bucket, then it became a bucket on top of the door. And I would tell kids as they went on and on with, with these things. And I would say, when is it ever going to stop? When does it ever end? Why don't you take the high road and put it to an end? Why don't you be the person of character and be the true, courageous, brave individual who trusts God, who believes God's word, and stops what could just continue to spiral out of control and anger and vengeance and all and I'm so thankful for the psalmist who, even though you could tell he was struggling, he was kind of angry, he was kind of frustrated, discouraged, he said, quicken me according to thy loving kindness. Keep me, he says. I will keep the testimony of thy mouth. May that be our testimony, be true of us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word and the stanza. The psalmist, obviously, we relate to in so many ways and so many times as we read through these psalms, we find ourselves in the same emotion, the same thoughts, and the same spirit of the psalmist. And yet, Lord, we see the psalmist trusting you and looking to you and depending on your word. May we do the same. Pray your work in our hearts and, Lord, challenge us even this week to love you, to live for you, and to serve you, be faithful, and to honor you and obey your word.